Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decropolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looked up to the heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephathala, that is, be opened, and his ears were opened. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealous they proclaimed it, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying he had done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nick. All right. All right. Good morning, everyone here at Edge City, Mineola. Um, can you guys make some noise? All right. We're alive here today. Want to welcome you all. Want to welcome everybody that's watching in all of our campuses. Uh, Little Neck Campus, welcome you. Our online campus, we want to welcome you as well. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Finn. I serve as the lead pastor here at our Mineola campus. Uh, before I begin, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we just thank you for this time, God. Yes, Lord, this is holy ground. Holy Spirit, would you just have your way in these next few moments, that you, you would just move in a special way. Give us ears to hear, Lord. Have your way, O oh God. Have your way, Jesus. Father, we just pray for these next few moments that I will just get out of the way and not be seen at all, and that you will be seen and get all the glory. I give you all the glory, honor, and praise. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So we are continuing on in our series. For those of you that don't know, we are uh, in a series called Encounters with Jesus. And today, as Nick read for us, we are in Mark chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. And our passage today is another scene of Jesus healing a guy. Right. We see Jesus moving toward a man who is in need, and Jesus meets his need in very tangible ways. Um, and the passage actually ends with this unique comment uh, with a crowd that looks in, and the crowd says, He has done all things well. He has done all things well. And we know that to be true, as we have been learning in our teachings of encounters with Jesus, that Jesus is batting a thousand. Okay, he is perfect, he is powerful in every single way. In fact, the person of Jesus is a humbling person if you compare yourself against. Because Jesus does everything well. Me, I, on on, the other, on one hand, I do a few things sort of well. I do a lot of things mediocre. And uh, the vast majority of the things that I do in my life, I do rather poorly. Okay, but I mean, I can't even keep up with my email inbox, okay? Like, that's where I'm at. But Jesus, not Jesus though, Jesus, the audience is right when the audience says that Jesus does everything well. 
In fact, what we have seen so far in the last couple of weeks is we have seen Jesus healing a a demon-possessed man, Jesus healing and touching a widow, Jesus feeding 5,000 people. Jesus does everything well. And now we are in chapter 7 of the book of Mark, and we're actually going to see more of the same. We are going to see, if you have been tracking along with us, what seems to be a repeat performance. A repeat performance. We're going to see Jesus uh, do some of the work that Jesus has already done. Right? He, he cast out demons from a, a little girl. He's going to go and heal a deaf man in the, in the following chapter. And we're going to see Jesus go and heal another crowd. But this time it's going to be um, feeding a crowd of 4,000 people. And so it's worth asking, what is Jesus doing here? And why is Mark recording it this way? Right? And this is just Is this kind of like the the sequel to the prequel that we've already heard and Jesus's wonderful works already? Like, has anything changed? I, I want us to catch something here, that Mark is going out of his way to show us something here. And that is that Jesus has moved into Gentile country. Jesus is moving toward the outsiders. You see, in the gospel of Mark, Jesus is healing the sick. He is casting out demons. He is showing compassion. He is forgiving sins and all of that to the Jewish people. And now what we're going to see is that he's going to do the same thing, but no one saw this coming though. He's going to move outside of the covenant people of God and he's going to take those very same benefits and he's going to go and minister to the Gentiles, to the religious culture, the outsiders, what they call them, right? And like, let me give you an example, Edge City Church. Like, I was thinking about this. Like, in our context, it would be like this, right? It would be like, say, say if Jesus came back today, shows up, and you imagine Jesus coming, and it would be so fitting for Jesus to come to a church gathering. You, you imagine Jesus coming to church to the people that know him, to the people that are familiar with the Bible, and he comes in and he heals the sick, he casts out demons, and he does all these miracles among us, and we would not be surprised by that, right? But it would be just real fitting that Jesus would come to a church setting to do all of those things. But then imagine after church, after the church gathering, Jesus goes out to the casinos, to the strip clubs, to the basement meth labs, And he starts performing the exact same miracles, healing diseases, catching, uh, uh, casting out demons, forgiving sins. No one would see that coming. It's like the vast comparison here is just so striking. Two chapters before this, Jesus heals Jairus' daughter. Jesus, you see, Jairus was a man who was a devout Christian leader at a temple. And then in chapter 7, we see that Jesus uh, heals a Syrophoenician's woman's daughter, a woman who is nameless, a powerless pagan woman who is despised by the Jewish leaders. But in chapter 6, Jesus feeds a crowd of Jews 
near the Sea of Galilee. Then in chapter 8, he feeds a, 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 another size of Gentiles in the region of the Decapolis. Do you see what Mark is doing here? Mark is showing us that Jesus is moving out. He's moving out. And in today's passage, Mark goes out of his way to share the geography of where Jesus is going, when this happened, what is the route that it takes him to, to get there. And you'll notice that's how, this is how the text started, right? Look with me in verse 31. Let's read that again. Verse 31, Mark 7, verse 31. It reads like this. It says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre, and he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. So first Jesus goes north to Tyre, and then he goes to Sidon, and then he takes his horseshoe route, uh, and he goes down southeast to a Gentile region of the Decapolis. And so if you have one of those like little uh, maps in the back of your Bible, I want you to go check, check out that map in your, in your Bible. And if you can see that page that says Palestine in the time of Jesus, if you look, you will see that this is a vastly indirect route. Jesus is not going straight to jail, not crossing go, not collecting $200 like it is in our Monopoly board. He is going all the way around the board, not going where the crow flies. In fact, the journey would be a 120-mile walk, okay? 120 miles. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that is a long drive, yet alone a walk, Okay, so you ask the question, well, Jesus, what's going on here? Are you lost? Is Jesus lost? Did Jesus lose his GPS? You know, what is Jesus doing here? What is it? You see, Jesus is on a mission. He is on a mission. And Mark records this on purpose here. He records Jesus' geography is intentional. He is moving toward the outsiders. He is moving out to the ethnically other, to the religiously other, the people that were often overlooked, the people that were unexpected. The unlikely man that we see in this passage was somebody that nobody would have thought that Jesus would go to. And all that by introduction, right? I want to say that this is where the passage will be, will be uh, leading us today, will kind of guide us today. So number one, I want us to see in this text that in every way, we are the deaf man, right? We are the overlooked. We are the unlikely recipient of God's grace, Gentiles, nobodies from nowhere, undeserving in every way, and yet Jesus moves into our lives in the gospel with compassion. And he meets us in a way that we do not deserve, that no one saw coming, that he would lay down his life for us. Unthinkable, unthinkable. And my desire for us is that it would just hit our hearts today, that we would actually just be stirred up in our affections for Jesus, and we would be all in awe of his great grace toward us. 
But number two, I want us to also see that for, that those of us that are in Jesus Christ have not only been saved by Jesus, but we have been sent by Jesus, right? We are sent out. And what we're going to see is this gospel picture, is this model for ministry and what Jesus has called us to. Jesus has sent us out, not only to the, the likely, not only to the neat Christian friends out there, not only to those who are wealthy, to those that are comfortable, to those that, 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 that are like us, but Jesus sends us out particularly to the overlooked, particularly to the outcasts, to the ostracized that are among us. And we're going to see, we're going to learn together in our text today from Jesus's ministry, how he wants to do this, the, not only this work in us, but how he's going to work through us as well. And so that's in our text today. Um, and the text is going to take us as we kind of press in and we're going to go through our text here. And I want us to kind of take a look at like four of Jesus's actions um, that he's going to just do in this scene here. And I want us to understand how we can apply that to our life as well and how Jesus wants us to take those actions in our culture and in our work. So here's the first one. The first one we need to, uh, the first one is this, is that Jesus, uh, we need to learn from Jesus's touch. We need to learn from Jesus's touch. Look with me in verse 32. This is what it reads. It says this. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. All right, so really quick, uh, before I get into my point, we need to, to ask, who is the they? Right? Who is the they that's being mentioned here that brings this unnamed man to Jesus? Well, what we learn in the last verse is that Jesus is in the region of the Decapolis. Now, if you remember from last week's sermon, Happy uh, did such a remarkable job last week. I want to encourage you to go back to our podcast and check that message out. But he, Happy was talking about Jesus uh, having this encounter with this demon-possessed man in the Decapolis. And Jesus heals these demons from him. And Jesus comes and he ministers to this man and he casted out the demons and this man's life is changed. If you remember, I think it was in verse 17 here, he tells them to now go and tell everyone what the Lord has done for you. And so we see here in chapter 7, we are in the same region, okay? Jesus comes back, and I am led to believe that that demoniac that we learned about last week, he got it done. In chapter 5, people were afraid of Jesus, and they're literally saying, get out of here. Jesus, we do not want you here. And now fast forward two chapters. Now people are bringing the sick and the vulnerable to, to Jesus so that Jesus would go and help. So my, my question is, what shifted here? What shifted in their heart? I think the demoniac got it done. He got it done. I think there was a gospel revolution, a Jesus revolution that started in this region of the Decapolis by a very simple man who has met the mercy of Jesus. And did you guys know that that happens today as well? That is how revival starts in cultures and in cities today. It doesn't take clever marketing. 
It doesn't take a massive multi-million dollar campaign, right? It is real people that has been met by the mercy of Jesus Christ. And they go off and they plainly tell people, Jesus changed me, right? They go off and they tell others, I met a man, his name is Jesus, and he changed me. And that is how we do it today. We very plainly tell this message of Jesus Christ to those that don't know him or what he has done for us. But now to my main point, verse 33, we have these unnamed men who brings this unnamed man to Jesus. So let's go to verse 33. This is what it says. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, right? That, that's Jesus. Jesus, uh, I'm going to pause right here for a moment. Um, so I, I don't know why Jesus took this man um, away from the crowd privately. But Mark, he points this out to us, right? I can't help but wonder, like maybe he wants a private word with this man. I can't help but to, to wonder because of his speech impediment, maybe this crowd has been mocking this man for years and maybe Jesus was just sparing him his own dignity that he doesn't have to deal with the spectators at that moment. I don't know. I don't know why he did that. But this is what I do know though. What I know is that this man has Jesus's undivided attention. Verse 33, it says, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Like what we see here is uh, kind of an, it's an awkward passage, right? Is that Jesus moved toward this man and he touches him and immediately and intimately he identifies with this man here. I mean, think about it for a minute. Think about this. Jesus could have easily spoke healing to this man, right? That's what Jesus does. Jesus could have just willed it. He could have just winked at him, right? Boom, you're healed. Jesus does what he does, right? Jesus has all the power in the universe, but Jesus does something intentionally here. And Mark records this for us today. He touches his ear and he touches his tongue. Here's why Jesus was identifying with his need. Jesus is saying, I see you. And I am going to come near you. This man couldn't hear, so Jesus touches his ear. This man can't speak well, well, Jesus touches his tongue. As if to say, I I'm going to enter into your pain. <laughs> Jesus breaks all of the coronavirus protocols here, okay, guys? Like, no hand sanitizing, no social distancing. By the way, this is not an application for us today. Like, we should wash our hands. That is a good thing. And we should not touch each other's tongues, right? Don't do that, literally. But my point is this, okay? This is almost an awkwardly intimate scene, but this is a beautiful scene, a beautiful scene, because Jesus is saying, Jesus is not scared to get his hands dirty. He's not scared to do that. 
This man had real needs and he came close and he met this man where he had his need. And he moves toward this man with compassion and he moves toward this man with contacts. And he enters into his pain and he enters into proximity with the person who had a very real need. First, let me say this. This is a picture of what Jesus has done for you and I in his incarnation. You see, the greatest need that humanity has ever experienced, the greatest need that you and I have ever experienced was the need for forgiveness. And when Jesus saw our need, Jesus didn't just speak forgiveness from heaven, but Jesus came down near and he came in flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, 21, it says this. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me say that again. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took hold of our sin and he put it in his body on the cross. And he had this physical experience with our greatest need. And I want you to know that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you are born again, that Jesus Christ is moving toward you in a personal way. He is moving toward you in an intimate way. Right? He has touched you where you needed to be touched. He has healed you. And Jesus is a God who has compassion, who moves toward us in a personal action. And we praise God for that. Right? Jesus shows us that to truly love someone, it is to enter into their pain in a vulnerable way, to come into close proximity in a personal way. And Jesus shows this to us that we don't feel and not act, but we move toward their need. We move toward the outsiders. We enter into the tangible needs personally and in close proximity. And Edge City Church, I just want to say, listen, being a part of this church has been such an incredible experience because I think so many of you do this so incredibly well. Right, I hear stories of people just helping others here. Yeah, one, a family that gave uh, another family their car because they, they needed a car. Uh, people that are coming, who, I don't know if you know, but Pastor Celso is on a, uh, he's going to the Philippines, starting a mission over there. People going up to him and asking, how can we help you out as you go and start this mission? Your stories left and right of people helping others time and time again in our church. And you guys are an amazing testimony of that. Right? It is the touch of Jesus. It is coming close in a practical and a personal way. It's the touch of Jesus. And I want to ask you today, all of us, what are some of the tangible ways that you could enter into the mess and the pain of the people around you? We know for the last 18 months, it has been extremely difficult for so many people with this pandemic, right? Pain is just everywhere and we see it. So what are some of the opportunities 
that are right in front of you, not just to wish people well, but to move into their tangible needs. So the first thing we learn is from Jesus's touch. He comes in and he comes close and he gets his hands dirty. So the second thing we learn from Jesus is this. We learn from Jesus's look. We learn from his look. So let's look at verse 34. It says this. It says, after touching and looking up to heaven, he sighed. Okay, so let let me stop right there for a moment. Mark goes into just great detail describing this miracle here. And he mentions the the touching, the the spittle, the the tongue, the looking. Why is he doing that? Here's why why he's doing that with the looking. So I, I did some research this week on this. And as far as I can tell, when someone looks up to heaven, it is a sign of prayerful dependence on the Father. And this right here is no different, right? What is Jesus demonstrating? What Jesus is demonstrating is that aside from, the, aside from his Father, he has no power in himself uh, to have a meaningful impact on this guy's life. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, divine in nature, even he stops before the miracle to pray. He looks up to heaven, and in a sense, he's saying, Father, I need you. Jesus is giving a visible indication of this complete dependence of his Father in heaven to accomplish this, and he's going to start with prayer. And guys, this is Jesus' pattern all throughout his ministry. Right? Check this out. Check this out. The night before Jesus picked his disciples, what was he doing? He pulled an all-nighter. He literally, it it says in the Word of God, he literally spent all night praying. And then the next morning, he goes and he picks the twelve. All throughout the gospel, Jesus is getting pressed in, right? And he feels the pressures and the burdens of ministry. And what do we see Jesus doing? He continually escapes. And he goes off to be alone, to be alone with the Father. Before Jesus goes to the cross, what does he do? He goes to the garden. And for hours, he is going to be with the Father He needs the power. He needs the assurance of the Father before he goes and atones for the sins of the world. Jesus prays. Did you guys know that Jesus prays for you? He did. He prayed for us. John chapter 17, it says, He prayed for the the unity of the church for all ages. So that means today as well, right? Did you know that Jesus prays for you right now? So what is Jesus doing right now? He's praying for you. Romans chapter 8, it says this. It says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and he is interceding for you. So what does that mean? That means (laughs) that Jesus' his earthly physical ministry It was a ministry of prayer. That Jesus' 
heavenly ministry, it was a ministry of prayer. And in our text, Jesus is looking up to heaven in the midst of the busy hands of ministry. And that is such a powerful message for us, for those of us who are trying to serve with our lives. Right? Is it possible that if Jesus needed to pray to accomplish anything, just maybe, just maybe you and I have that very same need? Call me crazy. <laughs> Call me crazy. Isn't that true? Right? To all the parents, you're parenting your kid. Isn't that true that we could be so busy meeting the needs of our kids that we do not have time to pray for them? That is the best way for you to serve your kids. Is it possible that we could be so busy leading a community group, leading a small group here, that we don't actually pray for the people that we are trying to serve and that we are trying to disciple? Isn't it true that we could be so committed to just go and glorify God through the excellence of our work and through our craft and through our nine to five that we don't actually spend time glorifying God with a dependent heart through prayer? And I think the functional lies that we're living out when you and I, when we do this, that our service for God is more important than our communion with God. That our service for God is more important than our communion with God. Let me just put myself under the text here, okay? Let me be the first one to admit to you right now that this is my perennial struggle for me, okay? Like, I know you guys got a great prayer life. You guys are batting a thousand. That's great for you. I'm proud of you. That's good. But listen, my proclivity is to pray short and it is to work hard. To pray a little and to work a lot. For me, daily prayer is a discipline that I am committed to because you know why? You know why I talk about prayer so much? Because I need it. I know I need it. It is not an activity that I naturally just default to, that I tend to, right? And so let me ask us a question here. What if God was actually less concerned with our ministry output as he is with our prayerful input? And what if our ministry output was actually only increased if we strived less and we prayed more? And call me crazy, just call me crazy, but what if Jesus actually knew what he was doing? That in the midst of his busy ministry run, Jesus takes a moment and yet awkwardly on this kid's tongue, he's going to look up to his father in heaven and he's going to say, God, I need you in this moment. What if, what if he needed that? If he, if that wasn't time that was wasted for him, what if we need that too? Is that time that's going to be wasteful for us? The great theologian Martin Luther, there's a famous quote that he has on prayer. And so the story goes like this. Uh, Martin Luther was corresponding with a friend of his and uh, who was, you know, uh, corresponding through writing. And so his friend asked him, what are you doing tomorrow? To which Martin Luther responds, and I quote, 
He responds, he says this, work, work from early into late. In fact, I have so much work to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Jesus looked up. Martin Luther looked up. And so I want to ask all of us today, where are you going to set your glaze during this next week? I'll tell you this, if you're going to look at your retirement account, you're going to be vastly disappointed. If you're going to look at social media for some encouragement and peace, it's going to make you a hot mess inside. If you're going to look at the news outlets and the media, you're going to be disappointed immensely. But if you look up, if you look up, you're going to find a power and a peace that is far greater than yourself. And friends, listen, this is not a cliche when I say this. This is the truth. And I want to encourage all of us, would we start our day tomorrow in prayer? To the parents that are here, I want to encourage you, would you pray for your kids by name? Be specific in your prayers for your kids. If you want to swing for the fence, go ahead and start the three-hour prayer like Martin Luther, go for it. But others of us, let's just start with 15 minutes, right? Whatever time you can in the morning, start off that way. But what if we just took a walk around the neighborhood and we just prayed blessings for our neighbors? God bless our neighbors. God bless these businesses. God bring joy to these homes that I'm walking past. Awaken their hearts with a hunger for God. You see, this is not a cliche to make our hearts feel really happy right now and really at peace. But guys, listen very clearly. Prayer works. Prayer works. There's this famous saying, right? It goes like this, that prayer is a slender nerve that moves the hand of God. And if someone needs prayer, please pray for them. Would you pray for our church? Would you pray for me? Would you pray for all the other pastors here? Would you pray for those of us on staff? Would you pray for our future church plants? Would you pray for our missionary partners? Would you pray for our ministry leaders? You see, if Jesus found his power in prayer, it is safe to assume if we're going to find our deepest potency in prayer as well, it's going to happen to us as well. So we learned from Jesus, right? We learned from his touch. We learned from his prayer. Here's a third thing that I want us to learn from. We learned from Jesus's sigh. We learned from Jesus's sigh. Look with me again in verse 34. This is what it says. It says, in looking up to heaven, he sighed. I'm going to pause right there. Jesus sighed. So I've been thinking about this all week long, right? Like, what, why does Jesus sigh here? Initially, I thought, well, shouldn't Jesus be grinning? I mean, if Jesus knew what was about to happen, that this man was going to be healed, wouldn't he grin? I mean, if I know that I'm going to win something, right? Like there's going to be this big smirk that's going to come in the corner of my mouth. But Jesus, he is not smiling, right? He, Jesus would be grinning and Jesus would be saying, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it wait for it, bam. But no, he doesn't do that. 
No, no grinning, but he sighs. Why does he sigh? Here's why. Jesus feels deeply for this man. Jesus is not emotionless. Jesus is not indifferent. Jesus sees this man. He sees the ravaging effects of sin and brokenness in this man's body. And do you know that Jesus feels along with you as well? You see, Jesus is not this impersonal cosmic force out there, but he is a God. He is a personal God. He is a divine person. Three members of the Trinity are persons and they feel. John chapter 3 says that the Father feels love toward you. Hebrews chapter 4 says that Jesus sympathizes with you. Ephesians chapter 4 says that your sin actually grieves the Spirit of God. God is a feeling God. And I want you to know that whatever you're feeling during this week, your highs and your lows, your fears and your concerns, Jesus is in tune with your feeling. And Jesus sighs with you. In your grief, when you don't know what to do but to sigh, Jesus sighs alongside you. Here he is emotionally invested in this man. He is burdened by this man's condition. And I want you to know that he feels along with you as well. He does. And I want you to know that, listen, I want to do better at this, if I can confess. Because sometimes with the fast pace of life, I literally don't think I have time to feel. Like my flesh tells me that just that's going to slow me down. I got to keep moving. So just preach at a funeral, counsel a crumbling marriage, pray for that suicidal person, try to mediate, you know, some conflict going on in a family that's in crisis, go shoot out these few emails and go home by dinner. But when I get home, be emotionally joyful and present with my kids. And I find that doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work with Jesus. Jesus didn't rush it. He is with this man and Jesus slows down. Jesus sees him. Jesus hears him and Jesus touches him and he prays and he takes a moment to sigh with him. And he does that with us as well. And so I want to ask us the question, all of us this question of what would it look like if we allowed ourselves to actually be with other people and enter into their world and compassionately feel the weight of their situation? Listen, I'm not great at this, okay? But here's like a discipline that I try to do. So whenever I see a beggar on the street and I see one like every day, right? And I'm not, I'm not saying I give them money every time I see them. Like there's moments I do, there's moments I don't. Um, and if you do or you don't, uh, that's great. Um, whatever, you know, follow the convictions of your heart. Um, I don't think there's a particular right way to kind of approach this. But here's what I am committed to do. I am going to look them in the eye every time. 
If they meet my eye, I am going to meet their eye. And I have decided, right, that I'm not going to pretend that there is not this image bearer of God who is deeply loved standing five feet from my car. But I'm going to treat them like a human being and I'm going to look them in the eye and I'm just going to sigh with them in that moment. And I'm going to think, that was someone's kid. That person was a toddler, right? Learning how to walk, smiling, right? And, and smashing food, doing all the cute things that kids do and we love about them. This is a real human being. And now they're here. And I'm thinking, what happened to that person's story? Like, how did they get from there to here? Right, this is somebody's child and to sigh with them in that moment and to look them in the eye, what would it look like to sigh like Jesus, right? What would it look like to sigh like Jesus with people who have been affected by this pandemic? What would it look like for us as a church family to look, to be a human, to sigh with people who are in need? Would we mourn with them? Would we sigh with them? Would we serve and would we grieve with the people around us? Would we learn to sigh like Jesus? As I invite the worship team to come forward, as I invite you to close your eyes and to bow your head, I didn't have time for my last one, so I'm going to, as we are reflecting on this message, I'm going to talk about my last point here. And what we learn from Jesus is this. We learn from Jesus' words. You see, Jesus, his, Jesus' healing power comes from his words. He, he spoke to this man, be open, and his ears were open, and his tongue was loose. The power is in his word. Right, John chapter 1 calls Jesus the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And it goes on to say that Jesus, the word, spoke all things into creation, all of it into existence. And there is power in Jesus' word. Jesus' words can create. Jesus' words can restore. Jesus' words can heal. They can save the world. It is by the power of his word. It is a word of God through which salvation comes. Right? It is a word of God through which the spiritually dead has now become spiritually alive. You see, we need good deeds. We need to see. We need the touch. We need to sigh. We need to, to listen. But we need to share God's word as well. We need to share the good news of what Jesus has done coming into this world 2,000 years ago for sinners such as us to love us and to die for us. And those that believe and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord will be saved, will have eternal life. So let's have the confidence to speak the truth 
And let's have the confidence to point people to the truth because heaven and hell is real and eternity is long and sin has consequences, but Jesus Christ forgives freely. Jesus forgives fully. Jesus welcomes sinners. And if you're listening in right now, he welcomes you. If you feel like you are so far off from God, I want to say he welcomes you. He welcomes the outcasts. He, he welcomes anyone that will come. But to come and bow their knees to King Jesus. And they need to believe the words of Jesus that says that no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus' healing power for this man in the Decapolis was in his word. And his healing power for you and I and for our church and for our neighborhood and for our county and for our city and for this world remains in the word of God. And we need to learn from Jesus' words. Let's pray. Jesus, you are absolutely incredible, God. We see in this man who is deaf, but yet a picture of ourselves. We had a need that we could not find a remedy on our own. It was our sin, and yet you came and identified with our sin, and you acted. Put it on your body, Lord. You prayed for us and you are praying for us. You are interceding for us right now, God. You sigh with us, Lord. You feel with what is going on in our heart. And Lord, so we thank you for that. And so now, God, as we respond right now in worship, would we respond to the one who has loved us so incredibly? Would we respond right now, Lord, to worship and adoration for you? Even in this moment, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.